Welcome to the Beacon Church Podcast. Each week we post a sermon from our last Sunday service so you can catch up, review, or share with your friends. We pray as you listen to this week's episode, you're encouraged and equipped to love God, love people, grow in Christ, and serve the world. Welcome to 2022. You made it. So there's not many New Year's, maybe last year and this year, where I feel like that's like a thing. Like, you did it. Like, you know what? It's, it, uh, you know, we weren't so uh, thrilled with how things were playing out, but like, you're here, you made it. Give yourself a big pat on the back um, and uh, be glad that it's uh, 2022. Although, I wonder if... Uh, People are happy that it's 2022 because they're glad 2021 is behind us. Anybody feeling that way? We are like, you know what? I'm just glad 2021 is over. I'm glad 2020, 2021. I'm just sort of glad we're here now because it's just new and it's different. But for many people, I'm wondering if there could also be a sense of anxiety about what's coming. I mean, is there anyone here who's saying like, it's 2022? Like, now, what's in store for me? Like, what, what, what's going to be happening this year? If you think back over the last couple of years, I never would have imagined it. And now, you know, maybe there's a little sense of anxiety sort of creeping. How about this? Is anyone just tired? Is there anyone here that's just feeling like, I'm a little just tired? tired. Not like nap tired, although that's probably true too. Like maybe today that's exactly what you need. You need to go home. You need to take a nap. Those of you online, you're like, I'm already napping. Uh, you know, but like, you know, there's some, I think they're just saying, I'm, I'm just, I'm tired. I'm, I'm, I'm worn out. You know, it's just been a, a long run. Others, I think maybe you're saying, all right, I got a little break over the holidays but I'm kind of waiting for the crazy to kick back in. Anybody feeling that way? Because I think for some of us, we're like, you know what, we did, we got a little bit of a break, maybe had some time off, but oh, it's all going to start up again soon enough. This is an odd time. We're looking at this new year kind of a thing, and what is often a time of sort of celebration and uh, resolutions and plans for the upcoming year, it feels like a lot of those things are sort of on hold for a whole lot of folks, a whole lot of families. Personally, I've told you guys this, some of you, uh, over the last uh, couple of years, my own circumstances have been such that uh, I'm, I'm feeling somewhat just tired, just kind of worn out. And uh, I've been doing a lot of soul searching, a lot of thinking about it, and I realized that the way that I sort of operate is when a crisis hits, I'm usually pretty good in a crisis. And I know a lot of you handle crises well, right? You kind of like rise up to the task, you handle things, you get things done. And then some of us sort of recover after the crisis, right? We make it through the crisis and then like after it, when everything is settled down, when we're like, all right, we made it, that's when I sort of need a couple of days to... to unwind and shut down and kind of regroup and sort of like restore my emotional uh, reserves and all of that kind of thing. The thing is, we, we haven't really had that opportunity. 
And so one crisis led to another crisis, folded into another crisis, un, unmasked another crisis. And, and so if you're feeling that and you're the kind of a person who sort of handles crises and then, you know, now you just need the recovery, the recovery period never came. And so what I noticed in my own soul over the last uh, year or two is it that what used to sort of bend and then bounce back hasn't quite bounced back. Something sort of bent in the soul and sort of stayed bent. And I'm figuring out that God's doing something different in this season of life for me. And that's, it's been important for me to sort of wrestle through what that means to me and to my journey with God. Uh, and I think for many folks, you're experiencing different sorts of things like this in different areas of life. It could be in your, your work uh, situation. It could just be your own fears about what's going on in general in the world or in our country, uh, illnesses. It could be any sort of, uh, you know, family drama or political uh, issues going on that you're feeling like, man, it's just, um, we're not catching a break and because of that, relationships are getting frayed. And maybe you're getting a sense that something internally is just a little out of whack. I'm not even sure what it is. But in quiet moments, there's something out of whack. Maybe your walk with God just seems a little bit stale. Maybe that's kind of where you're at now. And you're wondering, what does that mean for me in the new year? And there's this great promise that is, uh, I keep coming back to over the last couple of years. It's found in Matthew 11. Jesus is speaking and he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Anyone weary or burdened? Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What I love about this promise is that somehow in the midst of wearisome and burdensome circumstances, Jesus promises rest, rest for our souls, easy yoke, a light burden. And I really love the realistic nature of this. Because, you know, if you, were, if you were writing this and you were trying to attract a crowd of people who were weary and burdened, you might turn around and say, listen, come to me and I'm going to take away all of it. You're going to be amazing. It's going to be utopia, some pie-in-the-sky sort of promise. By, you know, listening to, to, you know, some televangelist, you might think that that's the whole of the Christian message, that, like, everything is going to be up and to the right for all of time. There's, you're going to be, it's going to be rainbows and butterflies. If you, if you just follow Jesus and you do what I, I tell you to do, it's all going to be great. But I love the realistic nature of this because he's saying, listen, I know you're weary and you're burdened, and I, and I am actually able to give you rest. But it's not a rest that is free entirely. You have to take his yoke. A yoke is what you would strap on an animal to plow a field. And so he's saying, there is still going to be a yoke. You're just going to pick which yoke you want to wear. Do you want to wear the yoke I give you or do you want to wear the yoke the world puts on you? You're going to wear a yoke. 
That's the reality of the human condition. The difference is this yoke is the one that you will actually thrive under. Learn from me. There's still stuff to do. There's still things that we have to understand. There are ways that we relate to each other and to God. And we need to learn these things. We have to go and sit at the feet of the rabbi and learn what it means to learn from him. But of course, he's gentle, he's humble in heart. That's why we'll find rest for your souls. Because his yoke's easy. His burden is light. I love the reality, the realistic nature of this this promise to us. There is still a burden that you will bear when you follow Jesus. But it is a burden that is exactly the burden you were meant to bear. It's the kind of a burden that will restore and renew you. It's the kind of a burden that is not an ounce heavier than it ought to be, not a feather more than you were meant to carry by your Savior, who's gentle and humble in heart and trustworthy in that way. So as we start this new year, I want to talk to you about two habits for 2022 that I personally hope to practice more and better this year. Two habits that I hope to practice that I want to offer up to you for your consideration this morning. The first habit is to tend to your soul. Now the soul is this invisible, immaterial sort of uh, part of you. And it's incredibly important, but because it's something that we don't generally see or experience or tap into on a regular basis, it can get easily neglected. Now, the soul means many, many, many different things. It's used in a ton of different ways, even in the Bible. And so it does complicate our understanding of what the soul is. But for our purposes for this morning, I'm talking about this invisible part of you. So it's not your body, but it isn't entirely distinct from your body. And it's not your emotions, but it isn't entirely separated from your emotions either. And so the soul, in some sort of mysterious way, is this inner part of you, and it somehow connects some combination of your mind and of, of your emotions and of your will and, and even of your body. And somehow together, that's your soul. It's the whole of your life, but it's more than just the sort of thing we talk about when we talk about your life. And so I, I, I don't want to get too much more into that, into describing it. Uh, there's lots of great resources out there that I could point you to, but it, there is this mysterious sort of combination of these things. And the soul is tied to your health in every way, mental, emotional, physical, um, but it is also tied to your overall well-being. And that's kind of the key point because we know that our souls can be troubled. Even Jesus had this experience and he said that now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came into this hour. I came to this hour. So we have a soul. There's no doubting that. Your soul can be troubled and it isn't always God's plan to simply remove the trouble from your soul. That's 
that's just a, a few quick little things we learn about it when Jesus himself speaks of his soul. But I, but I really think that his, one of his most powerful comments about our souls are in Mark 8, where he says, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. It sounds a lot like the take my yoke upon you idea. And so a lot of these are related threads. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? So in, in Jesus' economy, you have everything the world offers you and your soul. And he's saying, pick your soul. If you had to give up everything that the world offered you, pick your soul. You would never forfeit your soul. Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And so he is encouraging us that we have got to pay attention to, tend to our inner lives, our soul. There is a parable that uh, John Ortberg, one of my writers uh, that I go to time and again to be shepherded and to learn, uh, I want to read it to you. It's a little parable about the soul. He said, there once was a town high in the Alps that straddled the banks of a beautiful stream. The stream was fed by springs that were old as the earth and deep as the sea. The water was clear like crystal. Children laughed and played beside it. Swans and geese swam on it. You could see the rocks and the sand and the rainbow trout that swarmed at the bottom of the stream. High in the hills, far beyond anyone's sight, lived an old man who served as keeper of the springs. He had been hired so long ago that now no one could remember a time when he wasn't there. He would travel from one spring to another in the hills, removing branches or fallen leaves or debris that might pollute the water. But his work was unseen. One year, the town council decided that they had better things to do with their money. No one supervised the old man anyway. They had roads to repair and taxes to collect and services to offer. And giving money to an unseen stream cleaner had become a luxury they could no longer afford. So, the old man left his post. High in the mountains, the springs went untended. Twigs and branches and worse muddied the liquid flow. Mud and silt compacted the creek bed. Farm wastes turned parts of the stream into stagnant bogs. For a time, no one in the village noticed. But after a while, the water was not the same. It began to look brackish. The swans flew away to live elsewhere. The water no longer had a crisp scent that drew children to play by it. Some people in the town began to grow ill. All noticed the loss of sparkling beauty that used to flow between the banks of the streams that fed the town. The life of the village depended on the stream, and the life of the stream depended on the keeper. The city council reconvened. The money was found. The old man was rehired. And yet another time, the springs were clean. The stream was pure. Children played again on its banks. Illness was replaced by health. The swans came home, and the village came back to life. The life of the village depended on the health of the stream. 
The stream is your soul and you are the keeper. We need to tend to our souls. The reality is you have one soul and it's the only one you're going to get. There's nothing of more value in this life. Your soul is that eternal part of you that impacts every part. But because it is so often unseen, we neglect it. I want to encourage you to tend to your soul. Now, all the normal sort of healthy living stuff matters, right? At the end of the year, they always tell us about all the things that we're supposed to do for health and you know, commitments for the new year, and all of those things are, in fact, related to the care of your soul because you're such an integrated whole, the way that God designed you, that all of those things do actually matter. But it goes way beyond the normal, healthy, living sort of stuff. The older writers used to call this the mortification of the flesh. This is the process by which each person does battle with their darker tendencies, with their sins, with their habits that they know aren't uh, bringing them where they want to go. And so they call it the mortification of the flesh, the killing of the flesh. And that's another part of this. There's healthy habits that we have to pursue, but there's also the, 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 the removal of the junk. And so what is that junk that has accumulated over the years in your own soul? What are the habits? What are the coping mechanisms that you have been utilizing to deal with the stress or the anxiety of the last couple of years? What parts of your own behaviors or your habits or your practices are things that you might be ashamed of if they were, if they were broadcast or well-known? These are ways that you get to tend to your soul, do battle against your darker tendencies. We also, of course, have the spiritual practices. And that's, you know, we talk about Bible study and prayer and things like that, and that's all true. But there's worship, there's celebration, there's, uh, there's solitude, and, and, and there's silence, and there's meditation, and there's memorization, and there's a whole lot of practices, things that you can actually do that will create an environment where your soul can thrive. That's a, another pathway toward tending to your soul. And of course, relationships are vital. You're going to see more and more about this. There's this loneliness epidemic that they were talking about well before COVID, and now it's just skyrocketing, and mental health and all sorts of issues are, are facing us as a people, as a nation. Um, and of course, when we hear those things and we see those things, uh, we, we look around and we forget that we're not the only ones sometimes. Uh, we forget that we're not the only ones struggling. People all around us, there are relationships that we ought to be investing in and, 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 and gaining uh, strength from and encouragement from and insight from. And so relationships are a key way that we get to tend to the soul because it isn't simply an individualistic affair. These are just... Uh, a couple of examples of things, but, but most important, what I wanted, I wanted to give you a couple ideas, but most important is I want you to make a commitment this year. I'm going to make a commitment. I am making a commitment to better know and to better understand my own soul so that I might tend to it.
That's habit number one. Tend to your soul. It is your responsibility and it is your responsibility alone to tend to your soul. All right, habit number two. Delight in slowing down. Habit number two, delight in slowing down. So different cultures idolize different things at different historical moments. And it seems to me that there is a modern reality that is destroying souls more than perhaps any other idolatry that we are currently facing as a culture. Uh, it's at least in the top two or three. And this is the problem of busyness. It's the problem of busyness. And, and when I talk about busyness, it's not just in schedule. It's, it's the whole of it. It's, it's every aspect of our lives where we lack margin, where we keep pushing and pressing and looking for progress and trying to get just a little bit more. It's all of the things that keep us running from place to place to place. And how quickly we see busyness will start to squeeze out everything else that's required for the, our, our own soul care. There's a parable that's super familiar, and I think it comments on this a little bit for us. It's Mark 4. Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. Birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then his disciples go and they ask him, so, uh, hey, can you explain that parable to us? And Jesus is uh, just a little bit frustrated, I think. He's like, uh, then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, very encouraging. Um, and, so, uh, the far, and so now he's going to go and explain the parable, which is awesome because he doesn't always do this for us. And so this one, we're like, all right, now he explained it. We kind of get it a lot more than, uh, than maybe we would have had he not. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. This, this I see. This still happens. It's not as uh, prevalent, but this does happen. People hear the word, they get encouraged, but quickly they're just like, you know what? There, there's no real progress here. There's no real response to it. Something happens, it's taken away from them, and, and uh, no progress is made. Um, that happens, comes, goes. People fall away to, on the wayside pretty quickly in that situation. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. This also we see, for sure. The thing is, in America, there's not a huge amount of persecution for our faith. There's some, of course, and if you come from a different religious background, there's probably a lot more. And so you've experienced this a little bit more acutely uh, maybe if you've had kind of a, a really uh, energetic beginning to your Christian faith, maybe you'll have a few family members being kind of like, oh, he's a Jesus freak now, he's going through his Jesus phase or whatever it is. And so there might be a little bit of pressure, a little bit of persecution in that way. But generally speaking, 
American Christians don't get a whole lot of this. It's always out there for sure, but it isn't, uh, I don't know that it's our dominant experience from my conversations with you guys. The next though, still others, like seeds sown among the thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. This, to me, feels way more like what most of us experience in this day. Thorns that come up and choke the life out of it. I'm, uh, I, I like to read books on busyness. I have a whole lot of them. I rarely finish them because I'm so busy. But, um, but uh, this is one called, uh, by, it's called Crazy Busy by uh, Kevin DeYoung. And his subtext is a mercifully short book about a really big problem. <laughs> I like Kevin because he writes short books, uh, which means I can feel very accomplished. Uh, busyness is like sin. Kill it or it will be killing you. Most of us fall into a predictable pattern. We start to get overwhelmed by one or two big projects. Then we feel crushed by the daily grind. Then we despair of ever feeling at peace again and swear that something has to change. Then two weeks later, life is more bearable. And we forget about our oath until the cycle starts all over again. What we don't realize is that all the while, we've been a joyless wretch, snapping like a turtle or as personally engaging as a cat. When busyness goes after joy, it goes after everyone's joy. He uh, talks about this uh, parable and some other insights that he has he says that Jesus says that the work of the word is swallowed up by the desire for other things. And I love the way he explains this idea. He says, it's not that possessions themselves are to blame. So notice he's taking busyness and he's talking about this in a way that extends way beyond simply how many things you have on your calendar to do. It's not that possessions themselves are to blame. The problem is with everything we do to take care of them and everything we do to get more of them. Is it any wonder that the most stressed out people on the planet live in the most affluent countries? Cottages, boats, campers, timeshares, investments, real estate, snowmobiles, new cars, new houses, new computers, new eye stuff, new video games, new makeup, new DVDs, new downloads, new... They all take time. We've heard countless sermons warning us about the dangers of money, but the real danger comes after you spend the money. Once you own it, you need to keep it, clean it, keep it working, keep up with the latest improvements. And if the worries of life don't swamp us, the upkeep will. Jesus knows what he's talking about. As much as we have to pray against the devil and pray for the persecuted church, and Jesus thinking the greater threat to the gospel is sheer exhaustion. Busyness kills more Christians than bullets. This delighting in slowing down is what we see happening when something grows. Others like seeds sown on good oil, they, soil, they hear the word, accept it, produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times of what was sown. The farming metaphors are often about the time it takes for a crop, how we have to wait through the seasons, how we have to trust 
that God's doing his part as we do our part. We tend to the soil. God's seed is good seed. The rain comes, the power of the spirit. And eventually these things start to grow in our soul. These things take time. And it means that we've got to delight in slowing down because life only accelerates. Progress relentlessly will grind us forward. So in all of this, we're going to have to create a plan that works for you. So what are you going to do to tend to your soul? What are you going to do to tend to your soul? For me personally, I have uh, developed a short little list of daily activities that cover a few different areas of my life. So there are some things that I'm noticing, some habits I fell into or out of. And I said, you know what, I need to get back to some of those things. And so I've created a short little list. Each of these items on the list takes only a few minutes. And so none of them are, are crazy as far as uh, time commitments. You could probably swap it out for just uh, one Facebook session um, or half of a sitcom or something like that. And uh, so you, you uh, for me personally, uh, these are, I go through this checklist and I'm gonna use them to monitor how it is that I'm doing on a few of the commitments uh, that I'm making to myself to help tend to my soul. And I look at these things and I go, if I were to do these items, these eight or 10 different items in a given day, I would end the day feeling like I had actually tended to my soul in some very concrete ways. I would have created some space. I would have, I would have directed my own headspace uh, toward uh, some uh, good things. And I'm hoping to accomplish these small changes. I'm also gonna regularly practice the daily examine. I've talked about this in some of the discipleship classes, and uh, I have found this a simple reflective exercise, and I have found as I engage in the daily examine that it does good stuff for my own soul. It's one of the ways I get to tend to my soul. And for me, largely what it means is I create a little bit of reflection space where I get to evaluate how I am feeling and how I am responding to things. And so I look at my soul and I think, all right, Lord, why... Why was I frustrated today? Why was I really happy or excited today? What brought me some sense of peace? What was I doing? What was I thinking about when those things happened? What, what uh, caused me to sin? What areas of life did I, I see some real progress in? What relationships brought me joy? What drained me? And I look through those things and, and those help me get a, a context for understanding what's going on in my soul. And so this practice of the daily examine is something that I want to return to to better understand the environment in which my soul thrives. That's just a, a few examples. For me, um, how is it that I want to delight in slowing down? This one's harder for me because I don't delight in slowing down. I'm actually addicted to activity and achievement. And so for me, more is always better. And uh, I've started doing battle uh, with my own uh, self here on this front over the last year or two. Uh, and so for me, it starts with working on questions related to my identity. So who am I in Christ? What does it mean to be in Christ rather than do for Christ? If I'm not achieving for Christ or for the kingdom, what does that actually mean to me? What does it mean about Jesus and his love for me? Why is it that I've 
come to believe that what I accomplish for Jesus is directly related to how he loves or uh, has concern for me? Why is it that I've crossed these wires in my own soul? And so for me, that's one of the kind of the theological underpinnings that I need to work on uh, in an increasing way. I also need to embrace this promise that if I'm weary and heavy burdened, that I'm actually not doing what Jesus has me to doing. Somehow, that the, I can use that promise of the scriptures, that if I really am weary and heavy laden, if I'm really heavy burdened, then clearly I'm actually doing stuff that Jesus hasn't called me to do because he said his burden is light. His yoke is easy. And if I'm not experiencing that kind of life, what am I grabbing after? What am I grasping after that has brought me out of the obedient life in Christ, the one where I can find rest for my soul? I also think for me, I need to do a little bit of fast, uh, more fasting from uh, technology and uh, even from my to-do list. And so I found uh, in one of my seasons of examining this last year, I found out that uh, I, I'm, my, my to-do list is my real killer. And so for me, we use Asana, we, it's on all of my devices. And uh, what uh, happens is I, I can't stop picking up my phone and looking at it. And so how some people have told me they, they are with social media, like they're just constantly on and they're constantly looking and that might be an area where you need to do some battle. For me, it's, it's my to-do list. It's so bad that there was a day where I was, it was like a Thursday night, it was like 6, 6.30 at night. I was leaving here for, uh, for the day and uh, I had been uh, working real hard. It was a great day, very productive. And I decided I would go through my to-do list and set it up for the next morning so that I knew I had nothing to do from the moment I left until the next morning when I woke up. I didn't have to look at it once. So I set it all up. I moved everything off to the next day. I scheduled everything how it was supposed to be scheduled, used all of my best practices. I leave my office here. I drive out the parking lot. I go right, and I'm at that light right here on IU Willits Road. And in the moment that the light turned red, I reached for my phone and I opened up my to-do list which of course looked exactly like it looked like one minute ago. When I, I was like, what just happened? Why would I do this? What sort of mechanism in my brain and in my soul is so twisted that I'm, I, I, I literally know what it says. I just did it a minute ago and I went, oh, there's going to have to be some sort of fasting to break these habits of body and Mind. Getting back to my Sabbath plans and things like that, looking to spend some extended periods in solitude and silence over 2022. These are all on the docket for me. Now, uh, of course, the point isn't for me to tell you what I'm going to do so that you do what I'm going to do. That isn't the point. You're responsible to tend to your soul. You are going to figure out ways to delight in slowing down. If you decide to incorporate these habits, you have to find the habits that work for you, that create an environment in which your soul will thrive despite your circumstances. You are the keeper of your soul. If you enjoyed the sermon, want to learn more about Jesus, or get to know our community, please visit beacon.church to get connected. We would love to hear from you.